asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today, we are answering your listener questions. That is right. We've got another listener questions episode lined up for you today. We've got five fantastic questions, quite a range, I feel like, of questions, even though a lot of these were actually today we're going to focus on investing, but we're going to discuss everything uh, ranging from the differences between ETFs and mutual funds. We've got a listener who's asking about utilizing a no money down mortgage whether we think that's a good idea uh, or not. And we've got a question from a listener who is, uh, she's fire curious, uh, but she wants to know some more details of how to actually make this happen. Uh, I'm excited to get to those three questions, plus a few others. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I think there's a lot of good ones today. But before we get to that, Matt, I wanted to mention that... I might be going out for a free steak dinner uh, in the next couple of weeks. You yeah. might. We're, we both might be we going both to might a, be. a free steak dinner. How do you feel about that? I mean, <laughs> free steak dinner sounds nice, right? Especially with the price of steak these days. So the question is, what's the catch? And uh, and you've got some more details That's here right. for us. Well, so you and I, we recently talked about some of the crappiest financial products out there on the scene. And we talked about how one of the things they have in common is that many of these products are sold, not bought. There are sales folks who stand to benefit from our hard-earned dollars by coercing us into buying certain products, right? And one of the ways... Where they trick us with steak. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, one of the ways that they get us sometimes to buy their fancy product that makes them a whole lot of money is through our bellies, right? They're, they're offering us some sort of meal or incentive to uh, to then listen to their pitch at least. And 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 I got this in the mail. Actually, some uh, maybe it was a, someone who used to live in my house, which is interesting. I've lived in my house for eight years, but I've never seen anything addressed to this individual. Uh, a guy named Frank, I'm not going to say his last name, <laughs> has been invited to this complimentary steak dinner at Morton's Steakhouse, or at least it's got a picture of a steak and says Morton's on it, but I bet they're only serving chicken, right? It says Morton's The Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is a legit place. Okay. Too. All right. Okay. Obviously, neither one of us have ever been to this fancy white cloth uh, restaurant that serves the steak. That's right. No, we're, we're not 
fancy dudes. But I guess the question is, this is coming up here in, I don't know, just a few days. Should you and I, we should we should probably go check this out and see what this guy's trying to sell, shouldn't we? <laughs> okay, so uh, honestly, this is kind of a frugal or cheap. Is it frugal to say, I'm going to expose myself to this information, I will hear their pitch, their sales pitch, and we will see what happens. Or it could be cheap because we're just completely wasting our time and maybe it's not worth the steak dinner. Uh-huh. Uh, but it sort of raises a, an ethical question, I think. Because first of all, you just admitted that it's not addressed to you. Oh, right. And so I we would have ha- to maybe go as Frank. I don't what, know. <laughs> we would have to see, I guess, if we are allowed to go because of maybe how old we are. It seems like this might be geared towards some older investors as they're trying to make the most of their retirement, perhaps. Um, but as long as we're not lying... So you're saying they're probably selling some annuities at this steak dinner. I kind of think so. <laughs> annuities, I think you're probably reverse right. mortgages, perhaps, uh-huh. uh, some of these different kinds of products. So as long as we can RSVP and... Under our own names. Uh, under our own names without lying, then I think it's totally legit. I, th- I think ethically we are in the... Like, the green zone. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but if there's anything, obviously, if there's anything where you have to falsify any information, that would squarely put us in the red zone. See, I was really hoping to put on a wig and some sort of like <laughs> overcoat and maybe like have a corn cob pipe or something and pretend to be someone else for an evening. But you're saying that's not okay. Probably not. Okay. But right. uh, but I do think it's fair for us to go because there is a risk. Anybody that goes to this, I think whoever's putting this on, they're saying there's a chance that we might be able to gain them as a customer. You and I know that there's no way that's going to happen. <laughs> they're messing with the wrong the wrong two dudes. They can't sink their harpoons into our skin. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, but they, as long as they think that there's a chance that it might happen, I think it's a fair exchange. So I am willing to say that uh, we should look into this. And if we do go, we, we obviously we're going to talk more about it. That's right. And let folks know what we've discovered. But what most we've folks investigated and uh, what we're going to write about. For, for most folks, though, <laughs> right, this steak dinner is not worth it because they might be compelled to buy the thing this person is selling, and it's going to cost a whole lot more than that delicious steak that you ate and so yeah you basically you, you, it sounds like you're getting something for free but ultimately you're getting taken and so these are these are to be avoided by most folks exactly I, I do think that you and I both would be quite resilient to any of their uh, any of their tactics yeah. any of their pitches we're like Teflon bud yeah. alright well let's keep moving on <laughs> let's uh, talk about the beer we're having on today's episode this one is called O'Fallon Dad's Original Oatmeal Stout and this is from a brewery in St. Louis we'll give our thoughts on this one at the end of the episode it's got uh, like an like a cookie tin uh-huh. kind of look to it is that for, how, for sure. how you describe it this is a brewery I've never heard of before Me O'Fallon neither. Uh, but yeah looking forward to enjoying this one and talking about it later on I just saw this one at our local bottle shop and I was like alright we'll let's L- give a new one a shot going on, right? yeah so alright but let's let's move on Matt let's uh, answer some, some money questions today on the show and for listeners out there who have a question they want us to tackle on an upcoming Ask HTM episode just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions there for you to submit your voice memo so we can take it in an upcoming episode. But Matt, let's get to uh, our first one of the day. This one is about defining terms when it comes to uh, how we invest. Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Brian from upstate New York. I really appreciate the work you're doing and I've learned a lot from your podcast. My wife and I are currently in money gear number seven and we're looking to invest more in the total stock market. Specifically, I've been looking into the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund that you've recommended in the past, the VTSAX, and I noticed that they have an ETF equivalent. I'm wondering what your general takes are on ETFs versus mutual funds, the general advantages and disadvantages, and specifically, which would make more sense for a long-term investment. Thanks, and I look forward to your response. All right. Hey, Brian, thank you for that question. And first of all, congrats on being in money gear number seven. That's the last money gear we have, Matt, which means there's no more gears. (laughs) Brian's killing it. Yeah, actually, if you're listening uh, and you're not totally sure what the money gears are, you can listen back to episode 302. That's where we explained how you can figure out when to do what with your money. Uh, But the fact that Brian is in Money Gear 7 means that he's eliminated virtually all debt from his life, except for maybe his mortgage. He might even have that set up up as a, a goal of his. And now he's just really going after those big life and investment goals. Uh, beyond the initial amounts that he's already investing towards retirement. And this is a fantastic position to be in. So congrats, Brian. And I want to point out 
that even though Brian is at the top of his money game, he is still looking to invest on a long time horizon. He, he's uh, he's investing like Warren Buffett. Uh, he's not looking at how he can make a quick buck in the near term. So kudos to you, Brian. And in, in fact, it was probably following that strategy that allowed you to get to Money Gear Seven. You weren't chasing those quick profits, those uh, get rich quick schemes. That's right. We'll call we'll call Brian the Oracle of New York since that's where he's <laughs> submitting his question from. He is maybe maybe the Warren Buffett of the Northeast. And Matt, let's talk about mutual funds versus ETFs because one one of the, th- the first things we're tackling when with that question is that not all mutual funds are created equally because there are some mutual funds out there that are pretty terrible because not only do they perform poorly, but they also have extremely high costs associated with mm-hmm. them. And the term mutual fund, well, it, it kind of refers to a broad category and includes some funds that we wouldn't go anywhere near. We wouldn't touch with a, a 10-foot pole. But it also includes some great mutual funds that we love, like one uh, specifically that Brian mentioned, VTSAX. VTSAX. That's right, which is Vanguard's classic total stock market mutual fund that tracks the entire market. It's a great fund for children of all ages to participate in. <laughs> it's classic, like the look of this uh, beer can. That's like, right. It's kind of got this timeless look to it. That's, how, that's how I feel about it. Almost VT nobody sacks. can go wrong going inside of that fund unless you're like pulling out retirement dollars. <laughs> and then sure. if you're in that wealth preservation stage, it's not as great of a choice. But uh, mutual funds that track specific indexes are commonly referred to as index funds, which is something that you and I talk about a bunch. We're, we're big fans of. So for your question, Brian, we're going to assume that we're just comparing index funds to ETFs, which stands for exchange traded funds, by the way. That's the route we're going to take as we kind of delve into this a little deeper. That's right. Yeah. So all index funds are mutual funds, but not all mutual funds are index funds. But yeah, you have heard us recommend VT Sachs before. And one of the reasons is because it is not actively managed uh, and because it doesn't have a bunch of managers and analysts and other Wall Street folks who are researching companies. They're making site visits, uh, visiting the headquarters of different companies they're researching. And because they're not actively deciding what stocks are going to go into that fund, they are able to keep their costs low. VT Sachs has an expense ratio of point. 0.04%, uh, which is extremely affordable. It's very affordable, especially compared to a lot of the other mutual funds out there that can run in the 1% to 2% range. Yeah, we're uh, talking that, like 20, 30, 40 times the expense yeah, of, of VTC. Yeah, that, that is not uncommon. Uh, actually, there are even some mutual funds out there that are in the double digits, Ooh, if you can believe that. Run away from those. <laughs> cannot imagine thinking, like anyone thinking that that's a good idea, that you're basically guaranteed to lose that much money uh, over the course of a year. But if you compare that to Vanguard's total stock market ETF, uh, you'll see that VTI, it's even more affordable at 0.03%. Uh, and so both of these are great deals, but you know the ETF is slightly more affordable. And it should also be no surprise to you that VTI is not actively managed either. Okay. So that's a good explanation, Matt. There's these two funds. One's a mutual fund, an index fund, and the other is an ETF, but they're basically mirroring the same index. Um, and just slightly different fees, right? Exactly. Ever so slightly. They're both really affordable, though, because they are inactively managed. Yes. They are, they're, they're pegged to the total stock market. So they're both incredibly similar, but one way that they differ significantly is the minimum investment that's required. VT Sachs requires a $3,000 minimum investment, which- is a lot of money. Brian's in Money Gear 7. He's got that money, though, so he, he, could, he could just go ahead and do it. <laughs> uh, but VTI allows you to invest by the share, which is a couple hundred dollars at the moment. So it's a little bit easier to, uh, less of a hurdle, right? to actually investing. Sure. Uh, but a part of why that minimum investment exists is because you're essentially investing in a fund that's a product of the brokerage you're investing with. And in this case, it's Vanguard, right? So with the ETF, you're actually buying and selling shares with other investors. And, and you can even see this when you log into Vanguard, by the way, because you have the option to buy and sell funds. But you're actually trading ETFs. And so the uh, this is, I know this is probably maybe a little <laughs> boring and potentially overcomplicated, <laughs> but the action you can take it's, ref- it's it's even reflected in the language they use on the site which is which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that actually it gets to the core of another difference between mutual funds and ETFs because you're trading with other investors just like you these trades they take place almost immediately uh, just like if you were to trade the stock of a single company. You know, there's an ask, there's a bid, and then that transaction is complete. 
But since mutual funds don't work this way, and you're investing that money with the brokerage itself, when you go to purchase mutual funds, that transaction won't complete until the market closes at 4 p.m., uh, or even until the next day if you make that transaction uh, after 4 p.m. And so that's, it's honestly, it's really a minor thing, especially since you're investing the right way for the long haul. Uh, but that explains why there's that delay with mutual funds but ETF transactions happen right away. They happen immediately. But this does mean that ETFs are a more accurate representation of the current market, market conditions. Again, when you're looking over the, the a time horizon that's like 10 plus years, well, I mean, come on, what's the big difference between a trade getting executed at 10 a.m. as opposed to 4 p.m.? There's, right. there's not a huge difference there, but uh, this is another one small nuance, one small difference between mutual funds and ETFs. Okay, so let's wrap this up, Matt. I think we've given a good synopsis of the difference between mutual funds or index funds and ETFs, and especially when we're talking about our low-cost favorites, there are just slight differences that shouldn't really have a major impact on which one you choose. But when we're talking about Brian and the specific situation he's in, he mentioned that he's investing within a taxable brokerage account. For this reason, we nudge you in the direction of ETFs because of the way you're able to you're able to rebalance and and because of how they're structured. ETFs are a more tax efficient vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. They have they have fewer taxable events than mutual funds do, which means that you're going to be paying less when it comes to capital gains taxes. And right. so for other investing uh, in tax advantaged accounts, it doesn't really matter. Like it's it's six one, half dozen the other, you can pick either fund and it doesn't it's not gonna have any material impact on your ability to build wealth. They're both great. Uh, but the takeaway we want to leave everyone with is that both index funds and ETFs that track the total stock market or S&P 500 are really great things. And you know, e ETFs inside of a taxable brokerage account are a little bit superior from a tax standpoint. But either one of those funds overall, especially inside of your tax advantage accounts, is, is a great pick. And so, yeah, just look at the expense ratios. Make sure that you're paying little to nothing at all. Fidelity, we talk about that one. FC Rocks, which is basically the exact same thing. It's just mm -hmm. Fidelity's version is zero expense ratio. So we like that fund a whole lot too. It's even better. Yeah. <laughs> so those are all things worth considering as you're kind of choosing between these different funds. That's right. So we have several other questions we're going to get to during this episode, including that one about the listener who's wanting to know some of those details. Uh, she's wanting to know the, the nitty gritty when it comes to actually executing fire in her life. We'll get to that one and others right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. 
That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money all right we're back we'll get to that early retirement question here in just a second but for now matt let's take a question from a listener who has a vacation home he and his wife are looking to sell Hi guys, this is Daniel from New Jersey. My wife and I purchased a vacation home at the end of 2020. Since then, the value of the home has increased substantially. If we sell the property, we could then use the proceeds, which would be about 250000 after taxes, and completely pay off our primary mortgage. Our primary mortgage balance is about 240000 We have about 13 years left at a rate of 2.625%. We refinanced in 2020 to a 15-year mortgage. P&I is about $1,800 per month, and taxes and insurance are about $1,000 per month. As this is not our final retirement vacation home, um, she is 54, my wife, and I am 52. Down the line, we would like to look at purchasing something different after the market shifts. If we sell, we're trying to determine if paying off the mortgage is a better option than, say, investing 200, 250000 in, say, a Vanguard total stock market index or potentially even a dividend stock, reinvest everything and allow all the money to grow. On one hand, we would be debt free, but on the other hand, we would no longer have that nest egg to grow. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, let's get to it. Uh, We think that taking some chips off the board could be a good idea for you, Daniel. That being said, you've gotten pretty dang lucky in (laughs) just the the past two years of ownership. And I I say lucky because everyone knows home prices don't typically skyrocket like we have seen over the past 12 months. Uh, They usually move more uh, at a snail's pace. And some classic second home markets have actually seen even more of an increase in value recently as well. But, you know, what it is that you do with all of those newfound riches, well, that is a tough call, but hopefully we'll give you some good thoughts, some good ideas. Yeah, I like how you said taking some chips off the table, Matt, because when you get lucky, sometimes you just got to walk away, thank the poker gods for the luck that intervened, because that's you're not guaranteed, right, to walk sure. away from the table with money. And the same is true when you own a house over, what, like an 18 to 24-month time period? <laughs> Typically... He's at the end of 2020. That's so, right. So, like, normally, we're not going to say, oh, yeah, now's a great time for you to go ahead and sell that house. Yeah, a year and a half after you bought it. That's definitely not something that we will likely ever say again. Most of the time. When that happens, if you have to sell a home that quickly after you purchase it, you will lose your shirt. You will lose a decent chunk mm-hmm. of money. But Daniel, fortunately, is not in that position. And so let's talk about what he does now that he is kind of taking some of those chips off the table. And I got to say, Daniel, I, I really don't like the idea uh, of you guys paying off your primary mortgage, mostly because it's below 3%. You said 2.625%. That 
is crazy awesome. Most people would <laughs> murder for that sort of interest rate on their house right now. What's crazy is that six months ago, you'd have been like, oh yeah, no big deal. But oh, that's decent, I guess. As we see mortgage rates basically skyrocket, that is definitely an enviable rate. That's right. Yeah. Uh, tell your neighbors and they'll look, give you glances, like stink eye glances, because they're like, I wish I had that. <laughs> but it, yeah, in the current inflationary environment we're experiencing, this mortgage rate, this hyper low mortgage rate that's locked in is a great hedge that's actually protecting you from some of those radical inflationary forces. So holding on to it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, that incredibly low fixed rate mortgage, it's kind of like a bird in the hand right now that you don't want to get rid of because it's so valuable. And so don't we would say don't give it up unless there's no other viable place for you to stash funds. Paying off that mortgage in one fell swoop is not what I would do with the proceeds of this home sale. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk through some of the other options that Daniel might have when it comes to growing this money without taking on too much risk. And we got to say that so much of that is going to depend on the time frame for you, Daniel, for, for when it is that you plan on buying another vacation home. There is, of course, the known risk of inflation, but there's also real risk by investing that money in the market if your timeline is too short. If you were to, say, stick this money into a, a total stock market index fund, just like we talked about. Or a, ETF. A, a either way. Ago. Either way you <laughs> want to go. <laughs> we're so used to saying index funds. Uh, honestly, oftentimes when I say index fund, I think of ETFs yeah. as well, because they're exchange, exchange traded funds. And so either way, they're funds, whether yeah. it's a mutual fund or an exchange. We kind of mean funds. both. Go with kinda, yeah, I kind of mean both. Uh, but sticking it in the market is a great idea if you've got a, a longer timeline, like eight or 10 years down the road, uh, even just five years. But if you're talking like two years, then you might find yourself with less money than you started with. That would be awful, especially with more folks these days speculating that we are entering into a recession. That might cause portfolio values to dip or even just stagnate over the next 12 months. Yeah, who knows what the future holds, right? Uh, we're certainly not making any predictions. But the thing is, when you have a truncated timeline, like that historical returns of the stock market, it's, it, you can bank on them less when you're talking about a shorter timeline. If you've got 10 years, it's pretty easy <laughs> to have at least some semblance of an idea of what your return will be. But if you're talking about a one or two year timeline, it's, it, it becomes much harder. And there's, like you said, that likelihood of losing some of that capital that you'd like to deploy in the purchase of that that next home. And so I, it's, it's hard to tell Daniel exactly what to do, Matt, because we don't know his exact timeline. He might not either. He might not know when he's going to be purchasing that next home. It could be in his mind, two years from now, five years from now, or anywhere in between. He, he did say when housing prices kind of get back to normal. And who knows when that's going to be. <laughs> and who knows what normal is. <laughs> right. Like, these are undefined terms that no one truly knows uh, exactly. what's coming down the pike. Yeah, nobody does. When will prices chill out on homes? Um, I don't know. Let's anybody's guess. And so I think Daniel could take maybe sort of a, a D, all of the above approach, uh, because especially if his, his timeline is is just more shorter or it's it's even more uncertain, maybe he sticks some money into I-bonds, like 20000 bucks, then invest some of that money into a total stock market ETF, and and then maybe pay off just a little bit of his primary mortgage uh, principal balance, and and then keep a little bit in savings too. It might, might be best not to funnel all of those dollars in just one single direction, you know, we would say uh, to Daniel, it's important to remember not to forget that selling this home, uh, it's going to trigger a tax bill. And so since you've owned it for more than a year, you'll be paying long-term capital gains on, on the increase in price that you've seen. But uh, make sure to set aside those funds to send to the IRS come April of next year. That's something you don't want to forget. Stick it all in one place and then uh, wind up seeing some losses. When you actually have to have some of that cash on hand to pay your tax bill next year, you don't want to mess that up. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, congrats again on your good fortune in the housing market. And yeah, these, are, these are good problems to have. That's right. Trying to figure out what it is that you're going to do with all that cash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I know it can be like uh, concerning when you're like, I'm going to get a ton of cash in one fell swoop, but it's also a good thing. Remember that. So, all right, Matt, let's get to the next question. This one is about retiring early. And what are the mechanisms that are going to allow this couple to do it well? Hey, Matt and Joel. This is Corinne from Utica, New York. I've got a question for you guys about the nitty-gritty of retiring early. My wife and I are both 38 years old, and our finances are in really great shape. We have no debts, own our home outright, and we have just shy of a million dollars in our retirement accounts, in addition to about 200 k in a taxable brokerage. We're not quite there yet, but it's got me thinking about the logistics of early retirement. 
Our retirement assets are spread across six different accounts, a Roth, a traditional IRA, and our employer-sponsored accounts for each me and my wife. When you add it all up, it's a lot of money, but each account only has about 200 k at most. When we eventually leave our jobs, I guess that would consolidate to just four accounts, but still, it seems like a logistical nightmare to manage substantially equal periodic payments for four different accounts. Is there something I'm missing? Any information you could give on the nitty-gritty of how to actually retire early would be super appreciated. Thanks so much. I love the show. Hey, Corinne, thank you for listening. And we are very glad to have you as a listener uh, of How to Money. And man, Joel, I've got to say, I'm, I'm just happy that we're taking so many questions of folks who are killing it with their money today. <laughs> yeah. And I say this because I think sometimes it might be folks who are thinking, I want some problems that I'm dealing with. Like, I want, <laughs> I, want, I want something that might seem a little more applicable to my situation right now. But I think these questions can also be incredibly encouraging to see folks who may not be all that far off from where you are currently uh, and to think that you could also potentially be in this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, sometimes we have listeners who have accrued lots of money over the years, and while not everybody is in that position, uh, hopefully all How to Money listeners aspire to be in a similar position. Absolutely, yeah. And so, Corinne, your your finances are in really great shape. You've got that paid off home, plus all of that money in your investment accounts at your age. This is nothing short of incredible. Um, I'm actually I'm I'm curious to know more about how y'all got to this point and what it is that motivated you to sock away as much money as you have. Um, but a big congrats on all of the hard work that you've put in to get to the point that y'all are currently in. There's a lot of sacrifice that it takes to get to that point. And I think we totally. can overlook that and we can just be like jealous. But I would be so interested to hear Corinne and her wife tell us the story of all of the sacrifice it took to get there. Because I guarantee you it didn't come easily. And and let's talk about maybe uh, some of the question that, that Corinne had, Matt. And the, the nitty gritty of retiring early, as she put it. We talk a lot about investing in tax-advantaged accounts. They rock. They're one of our our favorite methods for people to invest because why not get a tax break as you're saving for your future? Uh But there is a slight problem if you're one of those go-getters like Corinne who wants to retire mega early because those accounts are more difficult to tap. Specifically because there's a 10% penalty uh, that you pay when you start pulling money out if you haven't reached the age of 59 and a half. That's right. Yeah, it's hard to retire early. Before 59 and a half. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that's early enough is what the what the yeah, government says. Yeah. And if you want to retire earlier than that, well, guess what? It's going to cost you that extra 10%. Well, since Corinne and her wife, they're not even in their 40s yet. They're, uh, what, 38, she said? Mm-hmm. There's, there's this big gap between when they're putting this money in and then when they're able to pull the money out. But there are some levers here that we need to talk about. And, and Corinne, actually, she mentioned one in her question to have access to those accounts uh, earlier than retirement age. But here's the thing. They can get a little tricky. And first things first, uh, before we get to some of those, Matt, I wanted to say I like the idea, actually, of Corinne over the next couple of years before they actually pull the fire trigger, contributing more to a taxable brokerage account now so that they can have easy access to those funds whenever they like for a big chunk of those early retirement years. I think she said they have $200,000 in that taxable brokerage account now. It's a wise idea to put more and more money into that account specifically because that's going to be the easiest account to tap once they do quit their jobs. That's right. They can take a page out of Brian's book, Money Year 7, investing in those brokerage taxable accounts. But Corinne was, was touching on sort of the complexity of having to deal with you know all of these multiple accounts. And I will say, it is going to take a little bit more work as you are entering ret- retirement and you're trying to manage these funds. But the good news is, is that you're going to have enough, you should have enough time on hand <laughs> <laughs> to manage all of this wealth. Yeah. Uh, early on, it's something that requires virtually no time, right? You, you, you're working in your job, you're living your life, you're trying to keep expenses low, and you're just socking money away into these accounts. You're not necessarily wrapping your head and thinking hard and long about how it is that you're going to tap these funds. But obviously, Corinne, that's, this is the stage that y'all are at now. Yeah, really, you're just trying to fill the bucket and now you're like, how do I empty them wisely? Exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh, and first of all, you actually you want to have some of these different buckets to pull from for maximum flexibility. Avoiding pulling from those retirement accounts for as long as possible is a good goal. But let's talk about some of the, the main methods for pulling out those retirement funds a little bit early. And one of the major ones is using the Roth conversion ladder strategy. And this is uh, when you are basically converting 401k dollars or, or traditional IRA dollars to a Roth IRA, 
And then after five years, you can withdraw those funds, penalty and tax-free. Uh, it is important to note that you, you will have to pay ordinary income tax on those converted funds the year that you perform that conversion. That's why it's a good idea to spread these conversions out uh, in order to keep your tax liability to a minimum. Mm -hmm. um, and preferably to do it in non-working years, right? Once Corinne has actually left her job because that, that way her income's lower. Exactly. Yeah, and this is also why it, this is called a Roth conversion ladder because you're, you're staggering the amounts of money that you're converting. Uh, but that can be uh, a smart use of your extra dollars so that you can access your funds early before that 59 and a half arbitrary age that the IRS has set. <laughs> And the other strategy, Matt, there's one other major strategy that, that fire folks use to access some of those you know, retirement accounts earlier than they otherwise would be able to. And Corinne actually referred to it in her question. She called it substantial equal periodic payments. It's also known as 72T. Because uh, I'm sure it's named after the IRS line item in, in <laughs> it, the law exactly. that allows for this uh, move. They're, they're not catchy names, but I mean, I guess they make sense. Yeah. And <laughs> well, so you said the whole thing, but the, the abbreviation is SEP, not to be confused with a SEP IRA. That's right, because it's actually two <laughs> P's on this one, right? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and so, uh, Corinne, you'll, you'll likely want to seek the advice of a tax professional, no matter which route you're taking. We just definitely want to encourage you in that direction. But this strategy where you, is where you withdraw a specific amount of money from your IRA every single year until you turn 59 and a half. But it has to be the same exact amount every single year. And you basically have to telegraph that to the IRS ahead of time. This is a way that you can avoid that 10% penalty. But like I said, it requires you to predetermine how much money you're going to be withdrawing. And here's the thing. You have to do it in good years and bad. Whether the stock market yeah. is at all-time highs or is just having a rough go of it, you have to pull that money out no matter what. It, it, it disallows flexibility. Mm -hmm. and, and you can't deviate from the method even if all hell is breaking loose. And so um, <laughs> that it is not ideal, especially given how many years you're going to have between uh, retiring and getting to that 59 and a half age range. That is probably not the route you're going to want to go. Uh, you're probably going to want to lean more towards the Roth conversion ladder, but it's at least worth considering. And our friend Brandon, actually the mad scientist, he's kind of the guru on all things early retirement. And we'll, we'll include uh, links to some of his articles that go in depth about these strategies so you can get a better idea of how to pull them off. But I just want to say, again, a tax uh, professional could help you save thousands or tens of thousands of dollars by pulling these levers correctly and giving you the proper advice to make sure that you are pulling from these buckets in the proper order at the proper times. So yeah, don't shy away from hiring that professional, paying them some money in order to save you a ton of money down the line. That's right. Yeah. Don't skip that step of consulting a tax professional, Corinne, because making a mistake with any of these options could honestly cost you tens of thousands of dollars. The the stakes are incredibly high uh, when it comes to early retirement. And so for us sitting here, it's impossible to sort of delve into all the nuance of your specific situation. Uh, that expert help is a necessity, but you can definitely start by looking into the 72T, look into creating a Roth conversion ladder. That should definitely give you a great starting point, uh, a nice pad for you to launch from. I feel like maybe the other option for Corinne is to go to one of these steak dinners. I think they're going to be able to help her out. Uh, maybe maybe some, uh, some annuities are perfect for, for Corinne. Exactly. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> uh, so, Corinne, hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully it points you in the right direction. There are different paths that you can take, right? But uh, having this information in your brain and then talking to a professional can help you uh, figure out the exact path that's best for, for y'all. So, best of luck as you um, get closer and closer to that retirement date. We hope you have fun things planned for early retirements. All right, Matt, we got a couple more questions to get to. And coming up right after the break, we're going to take a question from a listener who is trying to put no money down on a home. Is that a good idea? Well, we'll talk about that in just a sec. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. 
Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money i'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans we always like to get the families together matt for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer we've already got that trip to saint simon's on the calendar pump for that but sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we're back from the break, and let's hear that question now from that first-time homebuyer. Hey, Matt and Joel. This is John coming to you from the beautiful Pacific Northwest near Olympia, Washington. My question today regards savings strategy. I am in the Air Force, and I'm looking to buy a home when I do my next move, which should be in roughly two years. I plan on using a VA loan, so having a down payment isn't a necessity, but it is something I do want to have on hand. I put 10000 into I-bonds last year and was just going to throw another 10000 in this year as my medium to short-range savings plan. But is there another strategy or another way I can save? Because the down payment isn't required for my loan, I feel like I can be a little more risk tolerant. Thanks for taking my questions, guys, and cheers. John, thanks for your question. Matt, honestly, this makes me pine for my old stomping grounds of the Pacific Northwest. Can we please? The beautiful Pacific Northwest. Can we please take a how to money trip out to the Washington, Oregon area in let's, the near future? Let's do it, man. Okay. Mount Rainier was one of uh, one of my favorite hikes. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely there, it's right? It's beautiful. I still haven't been to Crater Lake. I know you have. That's also, on, that's also incredibly beautiful. That's on like my top three domestic places to visit list. So I will say when so when Kate and I visited, uh, we were there like at the beginning of July, uh-huh. and there were still like feet and feet of snow banks, like snow like snow drifts oh, really? or whatever on the side of the road. It was 
unreal uh, that it was in the middle of the summer. Well, I was going to go, I think at the end of October one year, and it was like, nope, too much snow. You can't, the it roads were impassable. It had already restarted. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, like it, it was, you couldn't even go. It so. must be like a six week window when it's no snow, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I so saw I was devastated and hopefully I'll get, get there one of these days. But uh, I digress. John, let's get to, you. <laughs> let's get to your question. <laughs> let's the, talk about a house. Let's talk, let's talk about VA loans because mm-hmm. it's it's such a help to so many people in the armed services uh, who, who serve our country, right? It allows allows for them to put 0% down when they're buying a home and it allows a whole lot of folks to to be able to buy a home where it might otherwise be, become a lot more difficult. And in some ways it's great that you can buy a home without having saved up anything for a down payment. But it's a double-edged sword. Uh, it right is here. a double-edged sword yeah. because most folks aren't as intentional as John. And so, you know, some who opt to finance their home 100% they haven't saved up much, if anything, not only for a down payment, but for upkeep, for repairs, mm. for rainy days. Yeah. And that is a risky path to go down. So, John, we're glad to see you using this loan access to your advantage, but you're still preparing by saving and investing. Now you're turning something that could potentially uh, be be a negative into something that's actually a, an extreme positive. That's right. Yeah. John sounds like he's a really smart guy and he's approaching this uh, very wisely. Uh, I think of this in the same vein, honestly, as getting a 0% uh, financing loan on a car. If you've got the cash to buy it outright, but then you still finance it as an arbitrage move, then that can be a really, really smart move. Uh, but if you're financing a new car because you haven't saved a nickel, then and, and, and it's the only way that you can get the car that you want, well, that's not a great move. <laughs> and I think socking more money into I-bonds is a great move for the time being. John, you know, you are capped, like you said, at $10,000 a year. But the cool thing is that you can decide to leave that money where it is, or you can pull it uh, if need be, as you get closer to purchase time, uh, it's a perfect medium-term vehicle. And you know, given the fact that you won't need a down payment at all since none is required, we do think that it's okay to get a little riskier with your investments uh, and begin to make some moves with those extra funds that are going to be more long-term in nature as well. It's kind of the best of both worlds because if your investments end up painting out great over the next two years, maybe you will draw on those funds. Uh, but if you wanted to continue to let those dollars sit there and continue to grow, you have the option of not putting any money down. Yeah, I agree, Matt. I think he is in the catbird seat because yeah. it's not like he has to amass any sort of money in the next two years in order to buy this home. Um, it, it's still helpful, right, to have some cash on hand, of course, for those other costs associated with home ownership. But it's also great that he can start uh, increasing his ability to build wealth. I think it's okay for him to focus more on growing his wealth and building up a bigger nest egg for the future. Because it's not necessary for him to access those funds. That's right. Yeah, he can, yeah. Lock some it's of awesome. them away, right? <laughs> so take advantage of the TSP as much as possible, John. That's that's one thing you should do. You know, same with your Roth IRA. Take advantage of that as well. The cool thing is you can actually use the Roth for home ownership needs if you so choose also in the future. So those are two of the retirement accounts we would suggest focusing on as you're trying to build money for retirement for your future. And you should also keep some money, like I said, liquid, because as a homeowner, you're going to want to be financially prepared to tackle upgrades and repairs as needed. And let's talk about that just for a second, Matt, because a lot of people, they don't think about this when buying a home. They're just thinking about closing costs or down payment. And so it's important to not forget to add some money to your savings right now too, John. And that's because uh, a good rule of thumb, we would say, is that you'll typically spend about 1% of the purchase price of the home each year for repairs to that home. And so if you buy a $300,000 home, that means $3,000 a year is what you can expect to spend. You should have that money in the bank ready and waiting. It's also important to note that your ownership timeline needs to be even longer if you're putting no money down on this loan. Who knows where, where the market's going to be in a couple of years? When you're ready to buy, um, things could have mellowed out a little bit or things might still be as hot as ever. Who knows? But we would suggest only making the purchase if you plan to own the home for at least a decade. And that is a long time horizon, right? That's that's asking a lot of you. But I think it is important, especially with when you're putting less money down, a longer ownership time horizon 
is necessary because not everyone's going to get as lucky, Matt, as listener Daniel did and see just an incredible amount of growth in 18 to 24 months. Yeah. And, you know, if that means owning this house as a rental property in the future, that's okay as well. We just don't want you to lose money by selling on a truncated two to three year timeline because, uh, yeah, buying and selling houses is expensive. And I just thought of something else too, Joel. You're talking about setting that, that 1% of the home purchase price aside uh, for repairs on that home. Keep in mind that that's also on top of your emergency fund. This is money that you want to earmark for repairs to your home, uh, because let's say it all hits the fan at the same time, and you know I don't know, maybe, maybe you you lose your job and a tree fell in your house. Uh, you know, well I guess you'd use insurance, <laughs> but there are th- some of these smaller repairs that can really add up when it comes to maintaining a home. Well, so, but then you're talking about your deductible at least, right? So whatever you have your that ha- on hand exa- too, exactly. But yeah, just keep that in mind this, that this isn't something that you should include within that three to six months, but it should be something in addition. And John, if if you haven't listened back to the episode we did with Doug Nordman, we highly recommend going back to check that one out. That was episode 166. It's a while ago, (laughs) but we discussed how folks in the military can supercharge their path to retirement by using the benefits that are available to them well. We definitely talked about the TSP within that episode, but this might be a great episode for you to share with some friends uh, since we approached it from that military angle. But we appreciate your question. Best of luck to you and thank you for your service as well. All right, let's go ahead and get to the last question of the episode. Uh, And this one comes from a listener who is looking to modify and switch up his investing strategy. Hey, Matt and Joel, this is Caleb from Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been listening since 2018 and appreciate everything you guys do for the show. My wife and I had a question on changing up our investment strategy. The only debt we have is our mortgage, and we do have a well-established emergency fund as well. We're both contributing above the amount needed to get the full match from our employer-sponsored retirement accounts. I contribute to my Roth option and my investment as a target date retirement fund. My wife's investments are similar, but she doesn't have the Roth option. We're thinking of lowering our investment in our 401ks to only receive the full match, then put our remaining investments into a Roth IRA, preferably with Fidelity on the S&P 500 or the FZ Rocks Total Market Fund. We're thinking I could invest in one and my wife could invest in the other for better diversity as well. These funds have lower expense ratios and greater returns in our 401k options. We wanted your opinion if there's anything else we should consider with this plan, such as compound interest benefits or other benefits to keeping our contributions in our current accounts or other pros and cons we should consider. Our current accounts also have total market and S&P 500 options, so we could just split our investments into those accounts but the expenses would still be greater than the index funds provided through Fidelity. We're in our early 30s, so we do have a lot of time to build up our retirement. Any general advice or considerations you think we should look into would be super helpful. Appreciate the help and hope you have a great day. All right, Caleb. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And since 2018, yeah, long time listener. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that. And I love seeing his desire to optimize. And man, I think sometimes optimization is overrated. And and some people are looking to optimize all the time, and they can't even enjoy themselves because all they're looking at is ways to make everything more efficient. Right. But, but I think what what Caleb's doing is is some helpful optimization of the way he invests, and and and, and just kind of changing up some of what he's doing is actually going to have major long-term implications because the idea right that you and your wife are both getting the full company match and then putting additional investment dollars into your Roth IRA instead of funneling more money into your 401k is a great one. We think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. We, we I feel like Caleb thought this through well. He's doing the right right thing. And because, you know, we're we're fans of the Roth for for so many reasons. It's something we've talked about a lot over the years. There's added flexibility for you when it comes to accessing those contributions in the future. Uh, it makes me think back, back back to the financial independence question and and retiring early. Well, you can pull those Roth contributions out uh, over the years tax and penalty free. That is another source of early retirement income if you want it. And uh, and so while we don't know uh, the future with certainty, there's also a really solid chance that tax rates end up going up in the future. There's actually a tax law on the books that is set to sunset in 2026, meaning tax rates are going to go up unless something is done about it. And so paying tax on income now and never paying tax on it or the gains again is just a solid investment approach. It's uh, an optimization step that's worth taking in Caleb's case. 
Yeah, and like he said, the other great thing is that he'll have lower fees by choosing his own IRA provider. Uh, Fidelity is a great choice, and Caleb, you named FZ Rocks, which literally has that expense ratio of zero. My favorite expense <laughs> ratio ever. <laughs> Free 99. Uh, that means that more of your money is working for you, uh, not going to pay uh, some different fund manager salaries. I wouldn't necessarily look to recent returns as an indicator of, of what you can expect to see in the future. But since you are in the wealth building stage of your life and you've got decades to go in your investing journey, the funds you mentioned are excellent choices. But so much of this does come down to the expense ratio, just like we talked about with Brian at the beginning of the episode. The performance oftentimes when you're looking at these index funds, it's going to be the exact same as you're looking at equivalent funds. Uh, and so the biggest differentiator is the cost of those funds. What is the guaranteed burn rate of what these funds, what investing with these funds is going to cost you. Yeah. And Caleb had a question about compounding interest and whether he's going to be losing out on that front. Well, the answer to that is no. It doesn't matter if your money is in three different accounts or, or just one. What matters is- Or 20. Or 20. It doesn't matter how, <laughs> yeah. how uh, wide you spread those dollars, how many different accounts you stick them into. I mean, for simplicity's sake, as few as possible, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's not going to make a difference on your overall returns. What matters is how much money you're socking into those accounts and the impact that the fees, Matt, that you mentioned are having on those returns. That's why we prioritize low fees because the impact of just one percentage point of fees, it's amazing. It can have the impact of something close to 40% on your returns uh, by the time you reach retirement age. So we would suggest that you go ahead and proceed with this shakeup, proceed with this optimization, Caleb. Uh, it's, it's not going to be life-changing, but it's a smart move from a tax planning and future flexibility perspective. This is, this is one of those changes that you're going to want to make. And, and it's something that we talk about too in the money gears, Matt, that getting the company match is really, really important. And after that, we, we prefer the Roth for most folks, not everyone, but for most folks as the next step before you kind of continue adding more money to that workplace retirement account. Yeah. And especially too, since the workplace one was just more expensive, right? We want you out of something that may not be the best option for you. And instead, you're kind of going out on your own. You're going with a low-cost provider. You're going with the low-cost funds. And especially since you have so many years of compounding growth, it would be one thing if, say, you're closer to retirement and you've only got a couple years. Well, switching, honestly, it doesn't make that much difference because you're, you're talking about expense ratios that aren't going to compound. But these mm -hmm. are expense ratios that are going to compound for decades to come. And so this really does, like Joel said, this is going to have a massive impact on your portfolio at the end of the day when the time comes for you to retire. So you are definitely, uh, you've got your mind, you've got your head in the right place. Yeah, make the change, as Michael Jackson would say in Man in the Mirror. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite MJ songs. It is a good one. Uh, Joel, let's get to the beer. Uh, and I'm going to point what I realized about halfway through this episode. This is not, in fact, a beer. Oh, is it not? Is this another malt beverage? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. So, uh, now I screwed up, just like you did that one time. <laughs> I will say this one tasted better. What was that? It tasted I, more like a beer. But I got the PB&J. That's right. Um, that malt beverage by Edmunds Oast. But you got the malt beverage from O'Fallon. This was a dad's original oatmeal stout. And it says stout on there, so it makes you think that this is, uh, I don't know. This is false advertising. It, it kind of is. I'm going to sue. <laughs> but it, right below that, it says malt beverage with natural flavor. Uh, but uh, well, yeah, what were your thoughts on this particular drink? I mean, I thought I had some oatmeal cookie vibes. It was, it was not too did. bad. It was, it was definitely lighter. Like it said, it was a stout. And so I was expecting something a little thicker, a little more robust. But I guess because it's a malt beverage. Now you know why. And I got falsely sold a bill of goods. <laughs> that's why it was, I don't know, it had like almost like a some soda like effervescence going on to oh, it so funny did it make you think of like cream soda a little maybe, bit maybe yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of got like was. those richer pastry like flavors yeah. in a lighter body drink which you don't normally expect that's right like cream soda uh, I, I totally pick up on that as well so i would say this one was okay it's not one of the best we've had we're probably not gonna buy it again <laughs> <laughs> but i would be willing to try an actual beer by them uh but i did appreciate the fact i don't i can't think of the last time i had a stout that was like a an oatmeal cookie inspired beer and i point that out as a fan of oatmeal cookies, like oatmeal, oatmeal and raisin cookies, I am a huge fan oatmeal of. Oatmeal chocolate chips, my oh, favorite. I, I like a little bit of that chew uh -huh. uh, when, I, when I'm enjoying my cookie. You put raisins in my cookies, you get slapped. That's what happens. <laughs> I do it for my health. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
I'm sure O'Fallon is a great brewery. If you live there in Missouri near them, don't send us the hate mail. Uh, <laughs> we will give them another shot. Yes. Uh, but Joel, that's going to be it for this episode. We will be sure to link to any of the resources that we mentioned during this Ask How to Money episode. And we've had multiple weeks now of our newsletter. If you have not yet signed up for the How to Money newsletter, head to howtomoney.com forward slash newsletter, where you can easily sign up to get little nuggets of personal finance goodness in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Yeah. And just like that steak dinner Matt and I were talking about, which is free, you our email is also free. But unlike that steak dinner, we're not going to try to sell you pieces we're, of crap. We're not. <laughs> we're gonna. We're not trying to mislead you. No, we're going to try to actually give you helpful personal finance information. That's the goal of the newsletter. It's been well received so far, and we would love for you to join our our email list. So don't miss out. That's right. All right, Matt. That's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.